Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, the crappy quiz, and a slight tangent. Does that count? <laughs> Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. You're welcome along to Thursday's football show. It is, well, ours is like, it's not a football show anymore, it's just football on a Thursday. Dan McDonald is in studio, how are you? Yeah, I, I don't know how to define these things, but either way, we're talking about we're football. We're talking football. Yeah. Well, it, what, it, what it means is we have scope to go wherever we want. We're just going so to live. So if we feel like doing a live golf, another hour of live golf, I just did an hour and a half of it in Golf Weekly earlier. Yeah. But I feel like I have more to offer. I, I mean, is there anything left to say? I mean, probably something else will probably happen. Uh, I don't want to link the two things together, but uh, today is a bit of a landmark day for football in Ireland. The FAI today launched their facility investment vision and strategy where they are looking for... 863 million euro over the next 15 years to focus on grassroots 426 million of it the League of Ireland 390 million of it and the international game 47 million of it Uh, the only place you get money like that these days is from the Saudis yeah I mean that's the simple solution you know I mean did anyone bring it up? uh, no it was was an aberration you know I mean uh, yeah I mean where would our morals all go then? I mean that is the broader debate, isn't it? About all of this, well, it's like, I mean, it's, I mean, more than anything, like it just goes to show, it's massive money, and yet in the context of modern sport, it's not. Which is, is which is the weird thing, like you know, I mean, and we're so conditioned maybe to like l- low enough um, investment in the sport on this island. To be honest, you know, relative to even. You know, the European average, which is a big point that the FBI have met in their presentation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for some people, this is like, how much a year? About 57 a year, 34 mm. a year from government? Yeah, sure, listen, that's... That's a mid-table change. Premier League footballer. Yeah. I mean, geez, and like what we're talking about here, over 15 years and 863 million euro, will be an unprecedented investment in Irish football. Yeah. Something that would change the game forever in this country. Yeah, I mean, I think transform the game is a, a phrase that's used. And yeah, you would believe that would be the case. It's, I mean, it's heavily front-loaded as well. So, I mean, most of this would be in the next decade. And the timelines are a little bit unclear as to when it would kick off. Because, I mean, this is, and we'll go into all of this, obviously. I mean, this is a proposal. This is not, um, this is not uh, the plan that's happening. It's a proposal to be put on the table. And as we know with all of these things, they can change. But it's an indicative figure for what they believe will be necessary because because ultimately what this has come out of is an audit. Um, you know the FBI did a strategy plan, whatever that was, uh, a couple of years ago, and probably got a little bit of a cool response. You know, and a big part of it probably was well, you know, the elephant in the room here, um, or the obvious issue here is like the facilities are dreadful, and it's something that you hear referenced. You know, people Damien Duffel referenced them casually, and 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 we can all re- reference them casually from our own experiences that we've lived and seen, and we all sort of a- agree. Yes, the facilities are terrible, but I suppose it's an open-ended statement. Um, and what the audit was probably all about was to well, well let's let's actually look let's let's create um, a document with facts around this you know and then okay so there's recommendations that are subjective people can debate them but I suppose the bottom line aspect is the facts of you know and it's right down to the idea of how many pitches do we have how many do we need you know uh, dressing room facilities toilet facilities particularly for females um, and uh, when you step it up the levels you know League of Ireland wise it's I mean the stadiums are terrible I suppose you can see that with your eyes but 
again, just laying out just how bad they are with regard to European norms. And the international element that you mentioned at the start is to do with um, the facilities in Abbottstown uh, for underage international teams and senior team where they train. So um, there's a broad scope to it, but I suppose people have always said, um, well, you know, where is where is the, the plan? Um, and this is the plan now. And we can debate the plan, but at least now there is one, which was the most important step. Whereas talking about it for years without a plan just sounds like noise, sounds like complaining. Whereas now it's like, okay, this is a document that's a guideline for where things could go. It is a very extensive document and we'll get into the various parts over the next few minutes. Uh, today then, out in Abbottstown, uh, Roy Barrett, who's the outgoing FAI chairman and the FAI CEO, Jonathan Hill, were there. Uh, let's hear from Jonathan Hill. He lays out the scale of underinvestment in Irish football and how it's impacted the game from grassroots right up to international level. Our research clearly demonstrates that Irish football needs funding, both private and public, to transform our facilities and infrastructure and to inspire current and future generations. We believe that football has been underinvested in for the last 25 years and that we've fallen behind our European counterparts in facilities investment. This isn't the fault of any single entity, but it is a simple fact. That is evidenced by the stark findings from our facilities audits. So, for example, at grassroots level, many clubs do not have any form of community-focused clubhouse and only 10% of our grassroots clubs have access to an indoor hall, for example. As a further example, take women's and girls' football, which has grown steadily in recent years. The reality is that this will suffer if we do not invest in facilities now, as we'll not be able to cater for this ongoing demand and growth. Again, as an example from the survey, we now know that 38% of our grassroots clubs do not offer female toilet facilities. Whilst the League of Ireland is currently thriving with sold-out stadia and an increasingly strong on-field product, the state of our facility infrastructure is clearly holding the league back. Facilities are below standard both in terms of our academies and wider training facilities, whilst many of our stadia have not seen significant investment for over 20 years. At international level, the FAI does not have a modern, fit-for-purpose national football centre facility with the current FAI National Training Centre not at comparable standards to facilities in other European associations. In our current facility, there are no changing room for players across 18 international teams, or indeed for any of our young local players, for our match officials or staff. No high performance, no medical and no modern sports science facilities. We believe this needs to be addressed. That is Jonathan Hill, the FAI CEO, speaking at the launch today of the FAI's uh, facility investment vision and strategy. Uh, One of the things that I liked about this is right at the start, they show football's social return on investment. And this maybe is the start of football fighting back, of shouting loudly that too often they've allowed other sports to almost have a monopoly on volunteerism and benefits to the community where you only have to look at the makeup of the Irish underage squads right now to see the integration that's happening in football at a far greater rate than other sports and the numbers involved in that across the social benefits, the economic benefits and the health benefits as well, which probably gets into where they will look for the money to come from, from all different angles within government. 
those numbers that Jonathan Hill went through there and we'll start at the grassroots level I don't think will be shocking to anybody who is involved at football at grassroots level at any age group at senior age uh, whatever like 10% of uh, teams have access to an indoor facility I'm surprised it's even that high like it's a miracle that we've had any success at underage level that participation is so high considering how far behind it seems Ireland are in terms of those most basic facilities yeah well it's I think yeah I mean the I mean, the general sort of calculation here I mean there's, there's a number of figures you can you can pick off I mean I think they, they estimate like you, you actually need another a thousand pitches if you were in line with the uh, I suppose per capita reports based on other countries and, and a lot of the pitchers that are there I mean I think you know was it 43% of clubs because from this survey you know would describe their facilities as very poor poor or moderate in terms of the actual the pitches themselves um, you know 55% of clubs don't own the facilities um, and a number of that like within that they only have security for more than one year so they don't they don't have um you know, they don't have a, a real home, a real base. And even, you know, people talk about traditionally why football has fared poorly. I mean, it's pointed out here that uh, was a 25% of, of clubs in the country can't apply for sports capital grants because they don't qualify for the criteria. We'll talk um, about that because that's really interesting when you outline that first figure of the amount of clubs who actually own their facilities, but even the amount of clubs who have such little certainty as to their long-term future in their current location. Yeah, they don't really have a a secure home. And as a result, I mean, I think, to be fair, a complaint within um, government would be, and this has been touched out in recent weeks, probably around betting tax and other issues, is that um, it's not that there hasn't always been a will um, to give money to football. It's that often they come with a pretty shabby case when they try and present. Um, and there's a n- number of reasons for that. I mean, I suppose, you know, and other sports are just better organised. That could be, like, more skilled people on their committees. It could be more, I suppose, from the Gaelic Games perspective. I don't quite have the figures in front of me here, but, I mean, the report does outline, um, you know, across, I think, 2000 to 2022 in terms of sports capital funding. Um, there's a quite substantial difference. Well, the GEA have received 431 million between 2000 and 2022. Uh, football has received 188 million. Uh, rugby, 53 million. Uh, rugby's turnover is far ahead of where the FAI is. But like considering football is um, leading the way in terms of participation. Yeah, like participation would be key. Like rugby's obviously smaller, but the scope would be a bit smaller just in terms of participation numbers, and and you know that would that would sort of make sense. Um, but there would be quite a substantial difference there. I mean, listen, part of that can bring you into a broader debate around, um, you know, the sports capital funding and how it's handled generally. You know, well, even there it says Ireland is one of only five EU countries that since two thousand and one has had an average spent less than zero point five percent of total government expenditure on sport. Yeah, no, so we don't we spend less than everybody else to start with. Yeah, and and listen, it's true you know you'll have like the GEA for example who you know the, the people can write quite reasonably point out like they've spent a lot of their own money you know on sports but they've obviously had government funding as well for like big projects and, and, and smaller projects um, but I suppose they're not trying to compete with 55 other nations you know in UEFA you know where there's you know significant professional infrastructure at all levels and like this is part of the the issue here like i suppose football like this is a broader thing as well the cultural 
view of sport in this country like we have a great culture of volunteerism which is like it underpins most codes um, and in football that is you know equally so as much as anywhere else um, but I suppose in terms of where you're trying to get to and where you're trying to compete um, it's just not fit for purpose under any of the, the criteria that exist and, and even the, for some people the principle of like government put money into this maybe they're not 100% sure about it but then you look at uh, you know, you look at the recent debate around, I suppose, horse racing and greyhound racing. There's, there's, there's arguments about government investment based on what happens elsewhere. And you look at football. I mean, you look at football in other countries. Central government funding um, is is quite substantial. And as you point out, football probably hasn't been very good at pointing out about you know the health benefits and the the, the overall value. I think there's been a very narrow view of football in this country which part of it comes from almost this belief of team qualifies for tournament mm. Irish football's in great health you know team doesn't qualify for tournament what's going wrong and and like that's you know we existed off that you know in a point of history where you could actually look at things in that narrower focus but it actually kicked the can down the road and a lot of stuff that has eventually caught up with us Well I would have and when we spoke about participation and the controversy around the GEA a few weeks ago I was making the point that it's such a benefit for the GEA that they're in control of everything. There is no end goal where you're competing with countries around no the benchmark. world. And yeah. Ireland, we do have a debate about the lack of players in the Premier League, the lack of players in the Championship. And we almost judge our success as a footballing nation on that and don't talk at all about the high participation levels in the integration mm. or, or celebrate that side of it at all. Uh, where are they going to get the money from? Yeah, so I mean, this is—I um, mean, this is the nobody issue, really, isn't it? Um, it's like, as you've mentioned, like sixty percent from from central government, which is yeah, what five hundred and seventeen million euros across the period of time, um, and there's a twenty percent from local government, local authorities, um, and twenty percent from the FEI's wing, which is, or, or just two elements to this: the FEI section. Um, they're talking about setting up a new foundation that will manage this, um, which will be independent. There's transparency reasons for that, I suppose, given the FBI's history, just so people have full confidence by an independent wing. They will actually manage this where the money goes. Um, and that's that's to be established. But I suppose the main part of this is the, the 60% that comes from government, the 517 million. Within that, that does include like existing schemes that exist, like the sports capital funding, the large, um, you know, the large scale infrastructure funding and um, I suppose they're looking for increased amounts from within that I suppose part of this is having better projects to go to the to go through the process with that but I suppose maybe the more interesting stuff is the additional sources of funding there's references to things like the Shared Island Fund the Brexit Adjustment Reserve which is a, a funding route that exists for industries that have been affected by Brexit their argument here would be football um, has been affected significantly because uh, we, we basically used to outsource player production um, and now we are responsible for it really in the key years of 16 to 18 and that's where probably the, the 140 million on League of Ireland Academies comes in and then there is a reference of course to the betting tax mm. um, which is uh, I suppose been a, a thorny issue in well, you know in the last what, four to six weeks I suppose and they are probably going out there and, and saying for sure that they are uh, recommending an increase in the betting levy from, from 2% to 3% even though I suppose the discussion of this generally has, has spun around well where does this betting tax for money really go? Uh, let's hear then from uh, Roy Barrett on a couple of those issues. So firstly, this is Roy Barrett uh, answering a question from Gav Cooney, basically just on how confident he is that they'll get the money they're looking for, particularly from the government. 
I suppose any any government funding uh, for, for for anything, but particularly sport, uh, is always kind of going to be emotional, and people will have an emotive view, um, wh whatever sport they're from. Uh, what we've sought to do, uh, and the team have, have sought to do over over the last um, eighteen months or so, when, uh, since we've been putting this document together and all parts and components of it, is really take the emotion out of it and actually say. Okay, uh, at a point in time, everybody has a view uh, that the facilities are poor, um, you know, for whatever aspect of the game. Our um, role has been to do an audit of those to see uh, where we are, um, how, how far the deficit is uh, in terms of the existing facilities, and against the backdrop of you know, a rising population over the next uh, 15, 20 years, um, which which is forecast to be 20% plus uh, or so, uh, against a backdrop where uh, we have a very young population, like 26% uh, of our population are less than 20. Um, um, and against all those things, we have a sport which has been chronically underinvested for a long period of time. Um, if that underinvestment continues, we're going to have all sorts of problems given the growth in, in the sport, the relative size of the sport, and the demographics and the change in the demographics um, would indicate uh, that the demand for football and football facilities is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So there's so against that backdrop, are we confident uh, that we will get funding? I'm certainly confident that we should get funding. Uh, and I think part of the uh, report also, you know, we're, we're not in isolation. Like we're a sport of, of many sports. And I suppose part of our argument is, is, is to say, okay, well, what's happened over the last 20 years and over the last 20 years as a country, we've underspent in sport. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're about half of what other countries have done. We're down at the bottom tier uh, of uh, countries which have invested in sports as a whole. Our argument would be uh, there should be more investment in sport, uh, given the demographics, and as the largest sport, we have the greatest need. And that's historical, but also what, what we see is the future. So we think we should get the funding, and we think we've got um, a good case to argue uh, that we will get the funding. It certainly sounded as though Roy Barrett did make a very strong case there. There was no mention of the elite side of the game at all. This was based on the facts of the way the country is going, the demographics of the country, the amount of people who are going to be coming into the country. For yeah. so many of them, football will be their first sport. It might be their first outlet into Irish life and that the government needs to start recognising that. Yeah, no, it was. And I think also as well, though, they were stressing that there would be a multi-sport element to these facilities too. That like, I think that's a point that people have, have probably raised and thinking, hang on, you know, is, is football looking for, for all of this for itself? What about everyone else? And you know, that, that's understandable. But I think that's a crucial point as well, that they are talking about shared facilities within this too. It's not a sort of an isolationist, um, it's just give this money to football. Um, so is there an element of this report that it's not necessarily what's in the report it's even just the fact that this report has been put to paper that the government's excuse and the attitude within government that when we talk about money for football as you say the attitude is well where's the plan so if the GEA come looking they come with a fully formulated plan football come go give us a bit of that whereas now when those conversations happen over the next 5-10 years the FAI can point and go we have given you the numbers we have shown you that if money is going to the GEA for facilities 
we need to be in on that. These need to be municipal facilities. They need to be shared facilities. There needs to be an opportunity for that money to go and benefit football as well. Yeah, and I suppose that's probably even more pronounced in the uh, the grassroots end of it in particular when you're talking about like the, the regional hubs, like community hubs. I mean, that's part of it. Like they've, they've divided the country sort of into eight eight sections um, within each of those eight sections they want one really high quality centre and then you know four smaller ones within it um, and, and sort of you know it, it spins out from that into smaller numbers as you go down um, and that's something that to be fair you know like GEA is way down the road with this stuff you know I was driving to a game and thinking Derry recently and you pass like the Monaghan Centre of Excellence on a road and, and you know you, you see them in various parts of, of the country they're very down the road with that I mean Football has, has struggled chronically with this over the years and is trying to develop something in every area for someone. Like the argument, I think, is that within 30 minutes of every kid, there should be some kind of decent sized facility. So, again, as I said, in that section, it's more facts. I suppose when you move up to the League of Ireland side of things, then okay, the extent to which all these facilities would be shared, you can you can debate that. You know, I mean, it, it will depend. You know, Tala Stadium has been used for other sports at various times, but um, I think it's particularly in the training facilities and the, the grassroots facilities that it's very much a case of this is sort of um, laying down a framework that, that others can probably come in in it. Uh, you mentioned the League of Ireland. Then, what is in this report that could help develop the League of Ireland? I mean, yeah, like the the League of Ireland aspect of it. I mean, I suppose, like what I probably like about the report is that it that it doesn't sugarcoat the reality. Um, and I think this has probably been a big problem with the FAI. You know, going back to the previous decade, where it was trying to tell everyone that everything was sort of fine, really. Um, you know, it just lays out how terrible the stadiums are. Um, and, you know, there's no way of disguising it. And basically speaking about how it, it's an obstacle to development, it's an obstacle to creating any kind of functioning industry here, which could actually generate some employment and offer opportunities for young players. Um, so they lay out um, just two strands, as, you, as I sort of mentioned, that the academy development is one side, um, and the other side is, is League of Ireland stadiums. And, and the vision is that by the end of the 15 years, um, that you will have around half the stadiums in the country in the 10,000 to 20,000 bracket in terms of capacity um, and then the, the rest up to 6,000 but I suppose that realistic? Well, see, that stuff to me right I think I think you can definitely get bogged down in the weeds of that stuff and debate it and go I'm not sure about that um, I'm not sure that's massively like relevant to the bigger picture debate of securing the funding you know and I'm, I'd be sceptical about aspects of that of course like look how you know, expensive data mount has proved to be mm. and that's only one stadium but they would argue well you know that to flip the pitch that's a particularly complex project where it's located it, they will point out in some places like I actually think the shorter term stuff is a little bit better on about in the five years you know a new main stand in every ground or you know something pertaining to that uh, a grass pitch everywhere you know obviously the place is more relevant than others um, and just maybe more manageable uh, targets you know that that sort of outline okay this is quite clear now in some places it points out there's these projects are in train already you know Finn Harp, Sliger Rovers, Shamrock Rovers and others Daily Mount it um, does need to be ambitious though because it again it be. does outline in pretty stark numbers where football is they outline the top 40 stadiums in the country and three of them are football stadiums one of them is obviously the Aviva but in terms of capacity the next two are 38th Tala 39th Turner's Cross so there's 37 stadiums yeah. ahead of them in yeah. terms of capacity so to be sitting here going getting a 10,000 seater stadium phew, might be stretching it 
Yeah, and it's easier to make the case now when, when like crowds, you know, grounds have been full many times this year. It's clear it's stunting development. It's harder to make that case if they're all half full all the time. Um, but again, like I suppose that's the it's it's more a case of like establishing the principle that you need to recognise that these facilities are important. Uh, and that's 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 been a challenge to believe and plant that seed with aspects of the football community here. Like how important is this? Like there was resistance at various stages to putting the third stand in the tala. Oh, well, I mean, the attendances wouldn't be, you know. Mm. I mean, you go there regularly now. Like, it's it's a much better facility. Like, the benefits are like the, the women's team play there. Twenty one internationals can be there, and like you want to be able to move these things around the country potentially, but you can't do it actually because the facilities are embarrassing. Like, you talk about bringing the and people might want to bring the women's team around the country. I mean, uh, you can bring them to Cork, sure, um, and even then, like Turners Cross isn't perfect. But where else do you go at a certain level? So if you wanted to have an underage tournament here, you can't do that really in, in a proper sense. So, um, and every other country is doing it. Again, oh, this is the point. In this, that every other country in Europe now, again, there's lots of different reasons that they have a very different structure around their leagues, around how investment comes from TV rights that just. Doesn't there's, exist something, there's something there's something ships in there effectively you know mm, harder to point Azerbaijan, to, uh, Azerbaijan Russia, we may not get to that level Russia, Russia built a lot of stadiums well you know okay but it's establishing the principle that this is important that you do it and, and like the, some people you know need convincing of mm. that at various times and um, I think this is why some of the detail around will the stadiums en- end up at this size um, will they will that materialise um, that may not prove technically to be the case but you know is there a basis there for starting work on certain places I mean the academy stuff in particular you know there's there's no reason really why you shouldn't be trying to advance the argument of every club having its own training facility like that's you know that's something that provides a benefit to a lot of people potentially and that to me that's a business case that you could present and say well here's what we need this here's what we can do with this I appreciate some of the other stuff is more complicated and definitely you could you could pick away at some of the figures around say you know we know how how long it takes to get stuff done in this country I'm not sure if some of these targets can be realized in that area but you have to aim for them in terms of the international side of it then, it's uh, not a huge amount of money, but what's the area of focus there? I mean, it's actually very straightforward. I mean, you could argue that the international side, I'm not sure if it's, if, you know, where where you would rank it in terms of being the most pressing relative to some of the other stuff we've raised, but it probably is the most manageable one because it's actually quite straightforward. It's like based in one area. I mean, the FEI are based in Abbottstown, um, but a, the report points out that of the three, I suppose, major codes, they're the only one that doesn't really have a proper national training centre. Like the national training centre they have, they even put it in quota- quotation marks themselves as though you know, the, the definition of it questionable because they don't actually have proper changing room facilities there like our underage international teams um, the 18 or so that we have they have pitches there um, but they don't really have anywhere to train they right don't have, they don't have uh, sorry, because every change, time you drive out sorry. to Abbottstown it's more and more impressive there's a new facility there's more pitches there's a new building with state of the art infrastructure around us uh, but you drive past all that and then you get to the FAI. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, no changing rooms for international standard players, no high-performance facilities or medical facilities, no fit-for-purpose education and development facilities, very poor playing surfaces, zero security infrastructure, uh, a single reclaimed container acting as a makeshift room for the player analysis team. So... We don't want to be getting ahead of ourselves, Dan. No, and I mean... It keeps people grounded. Again, I suppose, because this is on one side and the land is there... 
you know the, the, again there's a front loading of this that you could do you know I think I think it's something like 35 million of that in the first five years they argue um, and like you see the international team we'd be there you'd see them arrive um, off the bus changed you know already you know like there's not there's not a huge amount there and again like you know it's it's just it it's not fit for purpose, you know, and um, that is the international element of it. I mean, some people would have would prefer the concept of a, a, having a, a national academy full stop, where we do all the the post breakfast stuff, and that's not on the agenda. They are going to push with the clubs and and spreading it regionally around the place, and um, but that's the international aspect, pretty much. That's probably the most straightforward. And twenty six million to build a national football centre. Uh, FIFA quality 4G pitches by three including one potential dome five and a half million so the dome that is out in Abbottstown at the moment where the Irish rugby team train the FAI don't have access to that well no I mean that's, I, I mean, I presume you can rent facilities out mm. there if you want to use them I mean there are pitches out in Abbottstown that teams like might you know have arrangements with Sport Ireland to try and use them or whatever it might be but in terms of actually having your own your own home, your own actual base. Um, the argument is that they need one, that they don't have one. So, um, yeah, that's probably, as I said, like there's something like you know, 2,500 projects in this here, you know, up to that amount. But I suppose that is is slightly more, the focus to that is more narrow and, and more straightforward than the other ones. Um, but, you know, again, I mean, they're all pressing, actually. I'm not even sure about ranking them. Um, like, uh, all of them needed to be needed to be addressed. I mean, this is why this whole presentation is, is overdue. And I think what's interesting is that, like, um, the, the football community is a fairly cranky one, as we know, and probably quite divided as well mm. um, for, for, for many historical reasons. And, like, I even think of the strategy plan when it came out. I think people were probably more of a mind to chip away at it. Um, because there was areas of it that were a little bit unsatisfactory um, but I think with this one you can see people are generally going no this is a good plan it's actually a decent document you can definitely pick away aspects of it but yeah like this is we can get on board with this and uh, probably that in itself is a bit of an achievement and they have outlined you say, that funding model of where they would like to get the money from so 34.5 million per annum from the government through a variety of different schemes, eleven and a half million through football, which includes FIFA, UEFA, direct FAI investment, private investment as well via the Ireland Football Facility Fund, uh, local project partners, another eleven and a half million. So that'll be local authorities with match funding, local health authorities, educational bodies. So they have divided this up into. I think Roy Barrett used the term there about it being a motive that at times if we talk about the health benefits of sport but the second you then associate giving money to sport from the health budget people get very upset about that but actually if this is going to grassroots and the government is funding in different ways high performance maybe that's a way for the FAI to get access to all this money yeah was there any sense as to how much they actually think they're going to get no I mean and I think that point is probably addressed like you know is this type is this a negotiation and I suppose all these things probably are like I mean I suppose the FBI I mean they do have I mean, they have Robert Watt on their board you know they have people there who probably have an idea of the lie of the land and what's going on and you know I saw last week Cork City were all in with Michal McGrath 
um, you know, looking at public expenditure and all the departments they're probably trying to hit. Um, I don't know. Like it's it, that that's a tough one to answer. I mean, we are coming into a time where there's a budget surpluses are being debated. Um, a big part of that is infrastructure. Um, leaving a legacy again as an acknowledgement probably haven't been good at doing this in the past as a country there is an election around the corner you can't get away from that you see what's happening today like Sinn Féin straight away uh, not saying much around the betting tax stuff but they're coming to life on this I think Labour have as well too um, You know, people are probably of a mind to say okay um, if there is a surplus there and we're talking about building something that leaves a lasting legacy you know, lasting foundations that you can you can have the debate. I don't know. Like I mean, the government aspect of it. People probably hear eight six three. I suppose the government aspect is is five hundred seventeen. And there is obviously the local element of it will have you know state funds attached to that. Um, but you break it down, you know, that averages around 34 per year. I mean, you have to go back to the horse and greyhound racing thing to some to some degree. You can't help but go there. I mean, they went there themselves today. Well, but, let's hear yeah. on that then. So Tony O'Donoghue from RTE asked Roy Barrett the question about uh, the FAI and I guess uh, the FAI and the betting tax and I guess the way that story developed over the last few weeks. We, we haven't been critical of any sport, actually. You know, so, and, you know, what, and, and just like this document, you know, when... When, when you try to look at a particular issue, um, we, tr- we try to, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the amount of work that's gone into this document, when we look at something like the betting tax, uh, is that we try to take a fact-based approach to a funding stream that has been there uh, for the last 22 years or so uh, for two other sports, okay? Um, and. Uh, rather than being emotive about it, uh, is actually say, okay, well, let's let's look at this and let's look what uh, what has happened and why it happened. So, the reality is, for those two sports, there's been 1.6 billion uh, put into those uh, sports uh, as investment. Uh, the original genesis of it uh, was uh, the betting tax. Uh, the reason the betting tax was put in place uh, was this concept of a free rider, i.e. Um, betting companies uh, were benefiting off the content of horse and, and dog racing and that this uh, new fund and the betting levy was directed to do those two sports to compensate f- uh, for, for the fact that all the bets were being placed, let's say, theoretically on horse and dog racing at that time. So that's fine. Um, so what's happened, though, over the last 20 odd years is that, you know, the, bet- the betting levy uh, and the funds raised has just increased, increased, increased uh, at a time when the proportion of those bets um, has changed. Um, and, you know, close to 40% of them uh, come from football. So I think it's an absolutely reasonable question to ask is that if the original basis uh, of the legislation uh, was was one thing that if you apply it today then football and other sports should benefit from it but we haven't criticized other sports and actually if you look at our report what we do say is that well listen this has been here for 20 odd years it it is what it is so what we would suggest is just increase the betting levy from two percent to three percent and then in doing that other sports including football could benefit from the increased yield from betting levies so it's no uh, you know we're not trying to say 
um, pit ourselves against other sports or say that we should be taking off them. That's not what we said. That's not what the report says. And what it says is we've got a low betting levy, increase it, other sports can benefit. And then when I look at it from a football perspective, that would be and would, would represent a significant amount of permanent funding for the game, which would help finance part of what we're trying to do here. So that, and part of the reason as to why we looked at that in particular was it's one thing saying we need loads of money, okay, and we, we need loads of money to invest in the game. Well, you know, that's, that may be fine, but come up with some sensible suggestions as to how that can be raised. That's one. So that was Roy Barrett there talking about the betting levy. So they're not saying they want a slice of the current pie. They want to make the pie bigger. Yeah, and that was always in the the report, you know, the the report they commissioned. I mean, they weren't, this was the point, it was a sort of an analysis of of sports funding and and highlighting. And look, it went a particular way because the amounts that have been directed towards horse and greyhound racing are so significant. And naturally, you look into it, you know, the greyhound racing one in particular now even might be even more emotive, like 18 million a year or so. Put that against 34 million per year, it doesn't seem daft really does it you know the football ask um, now it, it spun out a debate and it spun out a debate around you know the, the government attempt to say well you know this money doesn't go um, doesn't doesn't go to horse square and racing the betting income money um, yes there's loads of stuff out there which shows that it informs the picture and there, here's the I think mean, this is part of it like football is you know there's no doubt that I mean you can betting on football does bring money to society this is our argument for saying maybe give us some money you know that would benefit society that that's the FEI's push on it um, they've obviously publicly probably got not not very far with it the idea of raising the betting levy how realistic is that there's probably going to be a pushback on that from from certain sectors in the bookmaking industry as well um, but horse racing have argued for this before you know they they they've they've called for the increase in the betting levy for whatever reason they obviously felt it would benefit them so um I've always felt football's entitled to make its argument here but it may well be that they end up technically getting nothing from the betting tax but I suppose it helps their argument for getting more funds from the exchequer which isn't really coming from the betting tax or is it which is always which is basically how it operates now with regard to horse and greyhound racing too uh, Declan Lynch used to have that great line about the FAI uh, it's the dysfunctional sporting body that other dysfunctional sporting bodies called the Galacticos mm. the trust of the FAI within government circles now is this a line in the sand yeah, I mean, and, that, and see, that's a massive issue. There's no doubt. Like, you see any any discussion you have about the FBI now, bet there's loads of comments in along those lines. And I mean, the FBI is basically like established as a punchline in a lot of people's minds, and and it's a challenge to change that. And that's within football as well too. And and um, and let's be honest, it's not undeserved based on mm. history, you know. And the Declan Lynch line is was valid, like you know, related to a a long-standing history of 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 bumbling errors I mean that's why we're in this position the Garden qualified for like multiple you know by, by, by scale you know quite a lot of major tournaments in a short period of time at a time when political establishment was falling over itself for football and effectively did nothing like left very little legacy there was a legacy about maybe more people playing the country and being inspired in parts of the country like people with Shane Long and Kevin mm. Doyle and all this but in terms of actually places for them to play um, and develop that wasn't really on the agenda um, and it's it's hard it might take a generation to shake that and that's what the FBI was talking about renaming itself at various times and, and trying to rebrand itself in various ways but I think the big thing that probably the FBI needs to do now 
is to divorce the debate around football funding with the image of the FAI administrator. Like so, to so many people, football in Ireland is the picture of the FAI, and you know who's the CEO or who's the international team manager. Rather than, and I think this is what they're trying to do, and, and it's probably quite effective. It's saying, you know, football is the people who play it. Like football is the people who try and go and watch it. Football is the the new communities that are coming in who love the game. Like football is not just people who go to like League of Ireland games. It's also people who want to go and watch Manchester United the Aviva they're all it all comes from like a, a, a you know a love of football in some shape or form and that's the argument for state funding into this pursuit you know and try and professionalise it and make an industry around it as well whereas too often it's been seen through the eyes of, of the FAI but of course look they fed that cult of personality mm. themselves and um, it, that the damage lingers on the debt lingers on um, the water reduction in the debt announced yeah, today? Yeah, the, 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 the AGM this year, they're suggesting it's going to be down to 44 million from, from 63. But there's no doubt that like, the FEI's ability to come up with its portion of this is complicated um, by things like that. But again, this is where this new foundation and, and, and getting uh, maybe donations or whoever that work because uh, is, could, is could, part could of help this them. taking the FEI away from that sort of boom or bust cycle of everything being unqualifying for the big tournament? Yeah, I mean, it's clear that will help if they do. But I mean, they have to get away from that. And as I said, like some people will, will only see only see football in these terms, you know. And um, I mean, there is no doubt. I mean, you can't deny the fact, though. You know, if you qualify for a tournament and the way prize money is going up, you know, it might even increase in value qualifying for a competition. A competition could be like fifteen million out of nowhere, and of course, you'll have deductions for bonuses and, and all sorts of things. But still, that really helps if you're trying to come up with X amount per year. And um, but that again, like the reason Ireland ended up in that boom and bust cycle is because it had no functioning infrastructure to speak of. It had no, no, nothing. The only people that employed full time in football in the country were only working for the FEI, and there was no real. It was just too reliant on it. I mean, and like as we know, Ireland qualified for tournaments. And the money was splurged anyway, um, but but this is it. It's it's about building something that's actually that has foundations from the bottom up, so that yes, if you don't qualify for a tournament, well, that's bad. But you actually do have training centres around the country and academies around the country, which should mean that over the round of like a twenty-year period or thirty-year period, you should qualify for more than you don't qualify for. Um, and that's where you have to get to. Like we are still a small country, we are still going to miss out on on competitions. Mm. But you just have to get to a place where we're not reliant on like the magic of a manager coming in and recruiting players through eligibility rules and hoping at a particular point in history this comes together. You actually have to take a little bit more control of your own destiny, and I think this is part of that. Uh, well, we'll talk about Ireland controlling their own destiny for this qualification campaign a lot next week. Uh, it is what eight days away. Yeah, uh, from Republic of Ireland against Greece in Athens and then at home against Gibraltar we'll have full live commentary of that game on the Monday night they're in Turkey at the moment you're heading over there's a training camp yeah in Antalya um, a warm weather training camp as they call it I was looking at the forecast they were meant to have thunderstorms and stuff the forecast got a little bit better I was thinking I mean like I mean, the, 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 well, this the, is typical FAI the, the, isn't it? they go all the way to Turkey and it's bloody warmer back here and like the Stephen Kenny era is just stepping on rakes like the warm weather training camp called off because of thunderstorms the forecast looks okay um, now it's improved so the area they've been there since Monday um, and they're they're basically spending I think nine days in total in Antalya, um, with and and sort of flying into Athens and almost their their, their trip to Greece is a normal length one in terms of just getting in two days before and playing the game. So, yeah, I mean there was no dropout to the squad once they named it, um, which is you know, which is decent enough. Um, 
and yeah I mean this game has probably been it's been sketched into our minds mentally for quite a long time and, and, and the nature of the year is such that one game against France in March with a three month build up one game against Greece in, in June with a three month build up and then it's a little bit of a sprint later in the year by comparison um, but it's upon us yeah. Alright we shall talk to you uh, plenty more about that next week Great stuff Dan Thank you